This has been one of those weeks when I just wasn't sure what I needed to share. There was, there was something percolating on one side, and then there was a direction that the Lord had been leading me on another side, and I just didn't know which way to go. I mean, I know none of y'all have that struggle. And sometimes God just says, hey, just pick one. It's okay. We'll get to, we'll get to the other one. But uh, when, you, when you teach things that are biblical, but they're not necessarily popular, uh, the devil plays mind games with you. Does that make sense? The whole time I've been preaching this series on, on healing, you know, I've just had this voice that's, you know, just, it's not condemning, but it, it knows just, he knows just how to, to get my attention. And, and, and I've heard all kinds of stuff. People are going to think you're a nutcase and, and uh, people are going to think this, and your friends are going to think that, and they're going to say this, and you're not, you know, you're going to be this, and, you know, I just, just hear all that stuff. And, and it, it doesn't, you know, I'm not going to say it doesn't bother me, because it does after a period of time, it just gets old, okay? And every once in a while you just have to, in Jesus' name, shut up and leave me alone, okay? But in my journey of walking with God, I've learned that if I will do what I'm supposed to do, God will do what he has promised to do, okay? Now, you've heard me say this over and over and over. God won't do for us what he's given us power and authority to do for ourselves. And all I mean by that, if God has given us a promise in Scripture and we're supposed to stand on it, you know what? He's not going to stand us on on it and hold us there and force us to stand. We have to stand there on our own. But if we'll stand there, he'll do what he's promised to do. So we, we have response. There's a partnership that takes place in this relationship that we have with God. I'm responsible to be obedient and to do what I know I'm supposed to do. And it's up to God then to take care of the stuff I just can't do. And it was interesting. Um, whenever you, you teach or you preach on a subject that um, has a lot of questions, most of the time people can only think of the questions. They've got all the questions that they've heard all their lives. And they don't hear what you say because... They hear the questions. Am I, I mean, I feel like I'm in the high grass and left field, but anyway. And so this week I, I, I said, okay, God, I, I'm, I'm going to preach this message and, and, and try to deal with those questions and, and those kind of things. And, but, you know, I don't even know the answers to some of them. <laughs> Only you do. You know, I think God came this morning because he knows we have questions. Do you ever ask God questions? You ever use the why, why God? It's okay to say why God. It's not okay to say why me, God. Okay, that's not a good question. Yes, he will. (laughs) That is exactly right. And sometimes he answers the questions, and sometimes he leads us on a journey that answers the questions. And sometimes we know the answers to the questions. We just don't want to admit to the answers. But I think God has come this morning because there, there are genuinely some questions that people have anytime you talk about healing. And so I'm going I'm to look at some of those questions. 
But as I, as I get into this, this week I, I was at a, at a conference that I go to usually every year. And it's, it's a place where you can, you can get by yourself as well. There's some good worship there. And I, I had a meeting or two, and I couldn't go to one of my little classes. So I, I was just going to sit down for an hour or so and just chill out in the basement of the building I was in. And there was a, 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 the guy was about this tall, uh, sort of salt and pepper, mustache, salt and pepper, raw bone kind of guy. You know, if, if we'd been in Texas, he would have fit the mold of a cowboy, but we weren't in Texas, we were in North Carolina, but he was from South Carolina. He had that, that South Carolinian drawl, you know, like sort of like South Alabama, down around Montgomery. I mean, he's just, melodious that's the word I'm looking for his voice was and he was he was sitting across the room and he was talking uh, a guy walked up and he was talking to him and I just got locked in on what he was talking about well when the guy walked off he just came over and sat down beside me and just began to share with me and uh and and talk about he was a pastor um and he had lived a, a a pretty rough life he said by his own account and then God touched him, and he just, he said, you know what, I just started reading the Bible. He said, my son had a Gideon New Testament, one of those little white ones. He said, I just picked that baby up and started reading it. He said, I just said, okay, God, if I believe it. He said, I just started praying prayers that agreed with what Jesus did. And he said, God began to use me. And I said, well, how did he use it? He said, well, I used to drive a truck, and he would tell me to stop my truck and go up on the porch and pray for so-and-so. And I saw God heal people. And now I'm tuned in because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little dumb, but I'm not stupid. All right? And so I thought, okay, God. And I, we sat there for, I don't know, an hour or better. And him just sharing. And he didn't know anything about me. He didn't know what's going on in my life and what's going on in the life of our church. And he just, he just shared story after story after story of how God had, had just worked. And it was God. He said, man, I preach the blood of Jesus, and Jesus does the rest. He said, and, and I, it, it began to encourage me. And, and I said, okay, I said, he was, he was winding down. And I said, well, would you pray for me? Because I'm hungry for the presence of God like that. I want to see God do that uh, in the area that I live in. And I want to see God use my, my church to do those kind of things. And so he prayed, and I never saw him again. And, and there was only about 400 people there. It's not a huge place. I never saw him again, and I never saw him before. Now, I'm not saying... It was or it wasn't. All right. By him saying this, God sent some encouragement for me. And he spoke to some deep places in my heart. And whether, you know, it was, it was still a messenger from him. We began this journey probably, you know, 10 or 11 weeks ago with a desire to be a, a house of healing. And when I say that, by that I mean a people God could use as a conduit to bring total salvation. 
complete salvation, the, the, the salvation that Jesus purchased on the cross. And, and you've heard me share this. The word sozo is, is the Greek word for save or salvation. And it means forgiveness of sins. It means redemption. It means deliverance from torment. And it means healing of the body. And that's a part of the gospel of the kingdom. That's the gospel that Jesus preached. And he preached it to a hurting world that was no different than today. We live in the same world. We live, in the, in the, in the, we live and rub shoulders with the same kind of pain. We experience the same things that they experienced. And we've talked for several weeks to, to become a house of healing. I, I, I just really believe you have to have a foundation. It has to be a biblical foundation. I'm just not swayed by new things that come. I want, if it can't stand on Scripture, then I'm not going to teach it to you. Okay? And so what we've done is we've, we've looked at Scripture. We've looked at, at what Jesus proclaimed and what he demonstrated and, and, and also what he commissioned his followers to do. We've, we've looked at Old Testament verses. We've looked at New Testament verses. We've looked at his ministry. We've looked at the authentic, authenticating works as the Messiah which he performed. We've, we've looked at how the kingdom operates. We've looked at the atonement. And then we've seen how he commissioned and, and, and the, the disciples and what their experience was. And, you know, I, I, I never, I did not major in math, okay? I, I took, I got a degree in some things where you didn't have to take but one math class, all right? <laughs> can I just tell you, I just, math was beyond, it just, I can add and subtract, multiply and divide. But after that, I struggle, okay? I just don't, I don't understand it. But it just seems to me that when you take all of these as a whole, it seems to indicate that the healing of the, the spirit and the soul and the body was, was a major manifestation of the kingdom of God, which was at, at work in the world when Jesus came. And we as his body are to continue that work. And you've heard me say this, something happened, and, and I shared with you one Sunday some of the events that took place. Something happened. But it didn't happen with God. It happened with the body. And what happened over time is, is that the ministry of healing was lost. It was misused. It was abused. And ultimately, it got buried in the dust of no use. And it just kind of disappeared. And today, we are a part of a church as a whole that no longer believes in healing. That it's, they may believe in it, but it's not really vital or necessary. It's not a ministry that we should pursue. And very often we pray about it, but we pray empty prayers because deep inside our hearts and our minds we're confused and we're unsure. And we have all these theologies and we have all these belief statements that pop up. Every time you start pursue something, one of those, those old sermons you've heard or, or one of those things brother so-and-so taught or you read in this book by so-and-so pops up. Y'all know what I'm talking about with pop-ups. Those of you that have computers, I hate pop-ups. I just hate them. I mean, you're, you're wearing it out there on something, all of a sudden, boom, there it is, you know, and where do they come from? But it's, it's the same way when we begin to pursue God, all these pop-ups start popping up in our mind. The only problem is I can't hit the little X, the delete on, on them as easy, and I have to wrestle with them. And very often we claim that we believe God's Word, 
is we claim it's inspired, that it's God-breathed. We claim that it's inerrant. It contains no mistakes. We claim that it's infallible, that it's incapable of being mistaken in doctrine. Yet we're unwilling to accept at face value very often what God simply says. I just, I loved what uh, the gentleman I was talking about said. It was just so, it was just pure. He said, I took my little boy's Gideon Bible. You know the white one? I said, yeah. He said, I just started reading it. And Jesus said I could do what he did, so I just started doing it. There have been a few other people in the world that have done that. And they've changed the face of the world. But very often we're unwilling to accept what it says at face value. And and the reason is, is... We say we believe it, but we don't really believe it. Y'all have heard me say this over and over. We do what we believe. Otherwise, we talk about it. And so, today, I want to just—I just want to step right on to those questions that we all ask. Okay. And I want us to—we may not find an answer, but at least we'll flush them out of the bushes. So that everybody will realize that, hey, you know what? Some of us got the same questions. God's not afraid of questions. Do y'all realize that? When you ask God a question in pursuit of a genuine answer, He's not afraid of that. Now, He's not into arrogant stuff. I hear people all the time say, well, you know what? When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God. You know what? No, you're not either. Can I just tell you, you're not. I mean, when you humble yourself and you ask a question because you genuinely need an answer, you know what? He's not afraid to answer it. But when you demand something, you know what? He doesn't have to answer it. Too often we forget who He is. He's God. He created everything that we see and all that we are. He created us. And you know what? The Creator does not have to give an answer to the creation about what he does. But you know what? He's done that in a lot of places. And so, when we come in humility rather than arrogance, very often we find those answers. Now, I've said all that because I want us to look just at some common questions and beliefs and theologies. I'm not, we're not going to get into them, but they're questions and statements that these kind of things always th- pop up. They always pop up. Can I just say this? Healing's still a mystery. Amen? We don't understand everything about it. We don't have an exact science. And the reason is because what Jesus revealed to that first century group of men that followed him, and they revealed to the next group, somewhere along the way, the revelation got, it got distorted and broken, and we didn't get the whole message. We didn't get the memo, the email, that contained all the information. And so what's happened is at some point one generation failed to pass it on to the next and it was lost. And and here's the deal. If you have to have all your questions answered and all your answers in a neat little row and them shelved on a nice little shelf, your problem is not God. Okay? I mean, it's not faith. It's God. Your problem is you're you're seeking a, a God who's too small. God doesn't fit in a box. 
The creator doesn't fit in what's been created. And so, very often we get in that place spiritually where this is what God will do and this is what he won't do. You need to read the Bible. There's a lot of things that they didn't think God would do that God did. Now, God will never go against his word nor his character. But you know what? God can do a lot of things that we don't even think is possible. And so today we're just going to look at these questions and some of them we'll have answers for and some of them we won't have answers for. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says that without faith, without believing and acting on the promises of God, that's, that's what faith is. It's impossible to please Him. For he or she who comes to God must believe that He is. And that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. Folks, our job is to believe that He is and to go after Him. Early in this study, I suggested that there were some non-essentials. And I don't have time this morning to re-explain them, so I'm just going to state them. But the first one that we said, that if, if, if we're going to be a house of healing, we're going to walk into this, this ministry that Jesus ministered in, we have to believe that Jesus is God. Okay? Now, if that's an issue with you, healing is the, last of your, it's the least of your problems. All right? Jesus is God. The second one, and this one's the one that may be a little controversial, but I believe that healing is the will of God because healing is part of His nature and His character. Okay? Number three, we have to believe that God wants to heal and is healing, present tense, not simply that He can if He wants to. Number four, Satan is the, source, is the ultimate source of all sickness. And number five, Jesus healed everyone that came to Him, but He didn't heal everybody in Israel. All right? But everybody who came to him, he healed. I believe those are essentials that if, if we want to see God move like he moved in the days of Jesus and the early church, then we have, to, we have to take hold of those. It doesn't mean we don't have questions. All right? Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 12? He said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, he who puts his faith in me, he who faiths me, puts his trust, and believes the promises that I've made and the works that I've done, the works that I do, he shall also do. And greater works than these shall he do because I go to the Father. That's a pretty audacious verse. This verse has wrecked my theology. Okay? I had a nice, neat little theology when I got into ministry. But when I read this verse not for the first time but for the first time without blinders on it blew up my theology Jesus says you will do what I have done if you believe me and not only that you'll do even greater things so let's look at some of these questions and some of these objections and we'll just We'll just talk about them for a few minutes. This is going to kind of not be, I'm not going to necessarily preach to you this morning as much as just, I got some of these questions myself, okay? Just honest. I've, I've had people say, well, you know what? 
I prayed for my family member. I prayed for my friend. I did what you said, and nothing changed, and that person died. It must be God's will. I don't have an answer for that question. Not that situation. Let me, let me back up. I don't have an answer for that particular situation. But you know what? Your situation and my particular situation still don't change what the will of God is. Okay? God is not the author of sickness. He's not the author of death. It does not negate the fact that God is a God of life. And that his desire is that we be whole and that we be healthy. What's happened in the history of the church is we've taken the sovereignty of God. Y'all know what I'm talking about? God is sovereign. He's in control. He's in charge. And we, what we've done is we've made God responsible for everything that happens. At the same time, we've abdicated our responsibility in some of those matters. Y'all, I used this illustration a few weeks ago. I can put a ladder up on this building and I can crawl up to the top and I can dive off on my head and break my neck. Was that the will of God? No, that was stupidity. The spirit of stupidity. Everything that happens, God does not cause. Everything that happens is not the will of God. Now, there are plenty of people that believe that. I just don't happen to be one of them. And if you are, you know, okay. But ask yourself some questions. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But what happens is, I've prayed. We prayed for this person and, and, and they didn't get healed and they died. What happened? Well, I don't know what happened. But I do know this. We have, we have yet to to seek the heart of God enough. We have yet to pursue Him enough. We have not prayed and fasted enough. When our, when our prayers fail very often, you know what we do? Must be God's will. Instead of wrestling with God. I, I love to read in the Old Testament. Uh, I was reading this past week about Elijah and how he, he, he went to Ahab and told Ahab it's not going to rain for three and a half years. And you know what? It didn't rain a drop for three and a half years. And God said, I'm ready to send some rain. And so Elijah goes up on the mountain after the big event with all the prophets and, and the sacrifice. And he puts his, the Bible, the position just intrigues me. It says he puts his head between his knees. There's all kinds of things working in my head right now, but I can just see that position. And he prays. And he tells his servant to go look and see if there's a, you know, a storm coming. Nope. Pray it again. Go look again. He does that seven times. I wonder what would have happened on the fifth time if he'd stopped. You ever think about stuff like that? That's how my mind works. But he didn't. He kept praying until the answer came. And very often we, do, we give up far too easy. We get discouraged. Things don't happen like we think they're supposed to happen. And so what happens is we toss up these, these little prayers. And we want things to fall into place like we want. But you know what? God has a perfect will. He really does. And if I want to know it, 
then all I have to do is turn back to Genesis in the first couple of chapters, and there's his perfect will. That's what he wanted to take place. That's what he, that was his desire. Everything after chapter 2, for the most part, is us making our own decisions and going our own way. And there's responsibility with that. That's why he sent Jesus. Now, I don't think sovereignty negates will, and neither do I think will negates sovereignty. I believe they both work together. God has a plan and a purpose, and we have a responsibility to obey. And those things work together seamlessly. Nelson, would you explain that? I can't. I don't know how to do that. All right? I don't know. And anyone who tells you that they can, I'm going to be gentle here, but they're a liar. All right? There are no theologians. They've argued over this since the very beginning. They're still arguing over it. Nobody knows. God knows. But there's some mystery there. Well, yeah, but if, if it's God's will, then it has to happen. Therefore, if it happens, you know, it's God's will. Well, that's a variation of the same question. God's will does not change. Y'all know that, don't you? It doesn't change. In other words, God's not wishy-washy. Well, what about this? What about this? His overall will does not change. Okay? The desire of his heart and his will are the same things. There's a passage in in 2 Peter verse 3, uh, chapter 3, verse 9. I'm going to read the latter part of it. It says that God is patient toward you or toward us, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. How many does God want to come to repentance? How many? Okay. Do all come to repentance? Okay. But yet it's his wish. It's his desire. It's his will. But not everyone comes to repentance. You've heard me use this one before. I'm not going to put this verse up, but 1 Thessalonians 4.13 tells us that, that as believers, we are to flee sexual immorality. God wants us to run. Put it in B for boogie and get out of there. Do all Christians flee immorality? It's the will of God, though. See, there's responsibility there. And just because it's the will of God does not automatically mean that it's going to happen. Okay? So, I don't know why you prayed for someone in your family and they didn't get healed. I don't know why. But that one experience should not stop us from pursuing God and wrestling with God and grabbing hold of God and getting deeper with God so that the next time we have an opportunity to pray someone, we've learned something. Does that make sense? None of y'all that walked in here this morning stopped walking the first time you fell. Well, you know what? I fell. That hurt. I don't like that. I'm not doing that again. We didn't do that. We dusted ourselves off. And we walk some more, and we fail some more, and we fail some more, and we fail some more, until eventually, guess what? We walked. And then we started to skip. And before long, we were running. 
And if we could figure out a way to flap our arms fast enough, we'd fly. Amen. There's a few of you that are like that. I know because I am. If I could figure out a way to do it, I'd try it. We didn't just quit. Now, I got to go on, okay? Here's another one. Well, why did God heal her, but he won't heal me? Here's another answer. I don't know. I have no answer. There are some elements of healing about God that are still a mystery. Listen to this. You ever heard of a a man named Trophimus? Trophimus? Trophimus was one of Paul's associates. Paul had such a gift that that they took handkerchiefs from him and, and put them on people and they were set free of demonic spirits and they were healed. And yet here's his buddy, the guy that's traveling with him, and he gets sick and he doesn't get healed. Yes, I know, preacher, but that's the will of God. No, that's not the will of God. I don't know what the answer is, but it's not that one. Epaphroditus. Scripture says that Epaphroditus brought a letter from one of the churches. And he came to see Paul while he was in prison. And he got sick and he almost died. Well, why didn't Paul heal him? We don't know. There's some mystery there. Timothy. I'll talk about this a little bit later in in another question. But Timothy undoubtedly struggled with stomach problems. He was nervous. Why didn't Paul just heal him? What did Paul tell him to do? Take a little sip, Timmy. Wine's good for your stomach. So why does God heal one and not another? I don't know. Okay? Here's another one. I hear this all the time from certain people in certain theological groups. I've been asked this question. Well, they'll say it this way. Since since you have that so-called gift of healing... Why don't you go to the hospital and empty it out? I'm trying not to say what I want to say, but what God's given me permission to say. Really, they're saying, if you have that gift. And really, there's no doubt in their mind you don't have that gift. That that question hides really a sort of a militant unbelief that, that those gifts are no longer a part of the church today. Okay, so when you hear that question, just chalk that one up to the spirit of stupidity and keep going. I know that offends some of you, okay? Jesus did not heal everybody. Just study your Bible. He went to the pool of Bethesda. That was a hospital in a sense. There were people that were crippled and lame. They were piled everywhere. And you know what he did? Would you like to get well? One guy. He had to walk through and over and around all kinds of people that were in terrible shape to talk to one guy. He walked by another man who would be, had been born lame from birth who sat in the beautiful gate. He walked by him every time he went to the temple. He never stopped and healed him. After the resurrection, Peter and James do it. Peter and John. Peter and John. <laughs> they do it. Jesus didn't heal everybody. 
God doesn't expect us to heal everybody. He just expects us to use, to be conduits of His healing to everybody He brings to us. There's a big difference. Now, here's another one. I hear this very often. Well, we have the completed Scriptures. Why do we need the gift of healing for today? I'm trying not to be sarcastic, okay? But that's another one of those in the the category of spirit of stupidity. Oh, I don't know. Uh, People are still sick and dying all over the world. Amen? The devil is still killing, stealing, and destroying. Amen? So that's why we still need that gift. Here's another one. Please listen to me on this one. I don't want you to misinterpret what I say. If you have enough faith, God will heal you. The reason your healing didn't come is because you lacked faith. Folks, that statement is used a lot more than you might think. Very often it's used by the person praying for the person who's sick to excuse their unbelief and their lack of faith. But even at the core level, faith is important. I want you to hear me. Faith is important. But if all your healing depends on is a a certain level of faith that you reach, where does God fit into that equation? Bottom line, there's still some mystery there, okay? Jesus healed people who had no faith, who had little faith, who had great faith. Here's the key. The Bible teaches that God is the healer, not faith, okay? Faith sets the table, but God serves the meal. It's God who does the healing. We okay there? I hadn't said anything. Everything okay? All right. Do you need faith? Yeah. You need to believe that God is who He says He is, and you need to pursue Him. That's faith. That's what Hebrews uh, chapter 11 says. But our faith doesn't heal us. It's God who heals. And you know what? God can heal people who don't even believe in healing. Here's another one. Many people believe that God sends sickness. That He allows it to come into our life to make us more like Jesus. To make us better Christians. To purify us. In other words, they'll use phrases like, well... You know, that kind of suffering purifies us. Or, you know what, that's just the cross He's given you to bow. I mean, to bear. I'm going to be brief here because I've kind of dealt with this. But God sent Jesus to die on the cross to make us better. All right? If He could have done it with sickness and disease, He would not have sent His Son to die on the cross. In other words, if sickness and, and disease have, a, have the ability to make... Now listen to me. I, I understand that in, in sickness, very often you, you draw closer to God. Very often people's lives are changed by it. But God does not send it. He uses those situations and those circumstances. But He doesn't send it for that. Sickness and disease kill. Amen? 
God is not a murderer. He's not a killer. God is life, not death. And so, you know, you, you, you just let your mind run a little bit. Okay, so he's, God's punishing me for the things I've done. No, he punished Jesus. That's theology. That's the Bible. That's what it teaches. I put your sins on him so that he could pay your price so that you don't have to. That's what Scripture teaches. For, for us to say, well, you know what? I'm sick because I did this or I did that. It's like saying that God sent sickness to punish you. Let me ask you a question. And I've, I've used this illustration once or twice before. But if your baby doesn't do what you say, and you cripple them, teach them a lesson, what will happen to you? You go to jail. Well, okay, maybe let's not cripple. Let's just give them a little case of the flu. A mild case. They'll learn from this. That's not loving. Well, you know what? They just keep doing it over and over and over. If I give them a little leukemia, just a little case of it, they won't do this anymore. See, we don't think through some of the things we say. God sent this. What does that make God look like? Well, God's sovereign. That's the next... Yes, He is sovereign. But the Scripture says He is just, He is loving, He is kind, He is merciful, He is righteous, He's balanced. But He's not an angry God who's waiting to bust us with some lightning because we've messed up. Folks, He put all that wrath, all that anger, He poured it out, Scripture says, on Jesus so that we didn't have to endure it. When you really think about this, this goes in the stupid, the spirit of stupid category too, really. I mean, it really does. Okay, here's another one. I got two more and we're going to be done. Please listen to me on this one. Well, I guess if I pray or I have others pray over me for some sickness that's afflicted me, I need to stop taking my medication and trust God. Please listen to me here. Please, please, please. If you haven't or done or don't hear anything else I've said, please listen closely. Do not stop taking your medication if a doctor has prescribed it under any circumstances unless that doctor tells you to stop. It's dangerous. And not only that, it's stupid. Okay? If someone prays for you and and tells you to do that, run from them. Get away from them. It's not the Spirit of God. Taking medication is not a lack of faith. Okay? It's not unbelief. God uses doctors. Luke, who I think writes one of the, 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 the most intriguing of the Gospels because of all the details in it. That's just me personally. Was a physician. He was a doctor. Doctors use, God uses medications and doctors do. He gave us doctors. Paul, I told you a few minutes ago, Paul told Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach. You know what he was, he didn't say, Timothy, come on over, we're going to anoint you with oil. 
We're going to put a prayer cloth around your neck. We're going to all lay hands on you. He didn't say that. He said, Timothy, get the wine bottle out, pour yourself a little glass, and take a... Oh, he couldn't say that. Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach. Wine was considered medicinal as well as something you, you drank at a meal. Folks, for some reason, we want to limit God. If he doesn't work this way, it can't be God. God works all kinds of ways. God uses prayer. He uses anointing with oil. He uses prayer cloths. He uses pagan doctors and Christian doctors alike. He uses medications. He uses shots. I wish he didn't, but he does. (laughs) He uses examinations, and some of them I wish he didn't, but he does. He uses all kinds of things to bring healing and wholeness to our body. Why do we limit him? Why does it have to be either or when it's supposed to be all and? Don't limit God. Pray first. Trust God. Go see your doctor. Don't ignore the pain. I'm talking to men here primarily. Don't ignore the pain. Pain is the body's way of saying, attention, there is a problem. Okay? Pain is a good thing. It alerts us that something's wrong. Go see your doctor. Pray. If God heals you, your doctor will confirm it. Amen? I'm just, I'm I'm thinking of, of, of Raymond and Becky. Doctor does a biopsy. Raymond, I don't know how to tell you this, but you don't have what I told you you had last year. I don't understand it. Your numbers are high, but I don't understand it. But you don't have it. Guess what? God touched Raymond. The doctor confirmed it. He didn't stop going to the doctor, though. If God uses your doctor to bring healing, well, you know what? You give God praise. And you thank your doctor. Either way, God's the healer. Either way, what happens? You get healed. Now, here's the final one. Well, preacher, if we start to focus on healing, then the gospel of salvation is going to take a back seat and lost people will die and go to hell. You say, well, I never heard that one. Well, I have. A lot. I've read it in books. Now, I would say to anyone in this room who is thinking that, listen to me, if you are truly worried about lost people, then start sharing the gospel. Okay? If all of us would just share the gospel with one person this week, we would change this community in a few weeks. I read some statistics a few weeks ago. 80% of Christians believe that they are personal, they have a personal responsibility to share their faith. 80%. That means 20% don't even believe that. Okay? So 80% believe it. 61% of those haven't done it in the past six months and probably in the past six years. Okay, now I'm not good in math, but if you boil that down, 
60% don't believe they should do it, and 61% are not doing it. Therefore, about 81% are doing nothing. And they're worried about the church in the, in the storefront down here that's talking about healing. Folks, a genuine belief in healing and a concerted effort to put it into practice only enhances the evangelistic outreach of a church. Hurting people, when they find help, they tell ten other people who are hurting. When they find help, they tell ten more. You see how it multiplies? That's the ministry of Jesus. Jesus healed Billy Bob, who was, was blind. And you know what Billy Bob did? He went and told all the blind people he knew. He healed the woman with the issue of blood. You know what happened? She told everybody she knew. Just study the model of Jesus. Study the model of the early church. The reason the early church grew so quickly was because God met people's physical needs through those disciples, and then He met their spiritual needs. He created a hunger in them. You know what? If you pray over someone and God heals them, they'll listen to you. They'll listen to you. I'm not saying every one of them will get saved, but I'll tell you this, a lot of them will. Healing is, is really a tool of evangelism. If you don't think it is, then just commit this week to stepping out in faith and start asking strangers who are obviously sick. I mean, how do you know, Nelson? Well, maybe they've got a crutch. Or a walking stick. Or if you really want to be bold, okay? You say, well, you're nuts. If you really want to be bold, just go to the parking lot outside of a doctor's office. Most of the people coming out the door have some issue going on. And just say to them, hey, my name is so-and-so, and I'm not a nutcase. But I believe that God heals, and, and I, he's led me to you. And would it be okay if I prayed for you? Very few people will say no. Pray for them. Just ask God to heal it. And when God does it, you know what will happen? Their heart will open up. Then you can share the gospel. Our problem as a church is, is, is really, and as the church, is not really any of these questions. Our problem is, is just a symptom that we've been conditioned not to believe. Since the dark ages, the church has conditioned itself not to believe that healing is the will of God. And we're no different. Most, most people have never witnessed it. And so every time... They hear about it, all those questions and all those, those objections to protect our unbelief pop up. It's conditioned into us through generations of unbelief. We've seen, we've seen abuses of it. We've seen misuse of it. We've seen people manipulate. And so what happens? All of that is a part of that conditioning. And over time, what happens is, is that negative conditioning takes control even though the Scriptures teach something differently. Let me share an illustration that has nothing to do with healing, okay? Most of you know what the term iron, 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 iron curtain means, okay? For those of you that don't speak Central Alabama, I-R-O-N, okay? Iron, iron, iron. Most of you know what the Iron Curtain was. 
The Iron Curtain was essentially an electrified fence that separated the communist world from the rest of the world. I grew up. Many of you grew up. Some of you didn't grow up with that. But what it made was that the people who lived in, 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 in communism could not cross over into the rest of the world. They were fenced in. And when the communists took over Czechoslovakia, which today is the Czech Republic, in 1948, they, they put up three parallel electrified barbed wire fences, okay? And they patrolled it really heavily. Uh, heavily. And over the years as that fence was in existence, uh, 500 people died trying to cross it. Many of them uh, were electrocuted. Many of them were shot trying to cross it. But people weren't the only casualties. Deer, red deer, were also casualties. Today, those fences are gone. There's no fence between Germany and the Czech Republic. But there's one species of deer, the red deer, who will not cross from Germany into the Czech Republic, nor from the Czech Republic into Germany. There are red deer on both sides in both countries. The average life expectancy of a red deer is about 15 years if they're not hunted. Now, that's not true in America, okay? But, they, you know, they're not hunted very much, and so they can expect to live about 15 years. And there are no deers alive who remember the fences, Okay? There are none alive that remember the fences. Every deer that's born usually spends about a a year with its mother. And then it goes out on its own. And yet they will go to the place where the fence is. And they will stop. And they will turn and go back in. How do I know that? Because the, the German government and the Czech government put transmitters on those deer herds to, 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 to uh, monitor their migration habits. And, and you can just see it happen. What happened? Conditioned. They were conditioned. They got electrocuted. They saw their, you know, all of a sudden they saw this and they, they couldn't get through and they stopped doing it. They were conditioned not to cross. The fence is not there anymore. There's no barrier, and yet they don't cross. Folks, when it comes to to biblical healing, we've been conditioned to respond in much the same way. That's why we fight so hard not to believe it. That's why all of these questions and, and all of these statements pop up whenever we try to believe. Listen, the enemy does not want the church to regain these gifts. Because if they do, he's finished. Do y'all understand that? If, if, if we begin to walk in that, His power over us is gone. So, to sum all this up, you got questions? Me too. For some of them, I have no answer. And I don't even know where to look. Okay? For those questions, I just have to trust God. I don't understand God most of the time. I can't explain Him. And He doesn't fit in any theological system that I have ever studied perfectly. 
It's kind of like his shirt tail hangs out of the suitcase when I try to stuff him in one of them. Or his leg or his foot or something. He just doesn't fit. Folks, he's transcendent. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. I don't understand those things either, but I believe they, they're true because Scripture says it. So why can I not simply believe when God says to Moses, I am Jehovah Rapha. I'm the God, your healer. Why can't I believe that? Folks, I believe that the time has come for us just to, to really believe God's Word and put it in practice, all of it. It's time to, to throw off the, the conditioning that we've been conditioned in and put on the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit and begin to walk in the promises that, that Jesus has given us that we would do what He did and even greater things. I think the time has come for us to reclaim what Jesus died to give us and God expects us to use in reaching the sick and the dying world that we live in. Folks, healing is nothing more than the love of God demonstrated. That's all it is. It's just, it's just God's touch demonstrated. When God heals somebody, there's no, there's no real dispute as to what took place. I mean, if, if you've got something that's incurable and the doctors can't help you, or you've been to doctors for years and years and they've not been able to help you, and God touches you, there, there's really not much argument. It's kind of like the people Jesus raised from the dead. I was dead. Now I'm alive. I was sick. Now I'm healed. Are we willing to believe? Are we willing to walk in a place that we've never been before and that we don't have all the answers? See, most of us are are comfortable when we can anticipate what God will do and what He won't do. That's not faith. If I know what's going to happen, there's no faith needed. God calls us to walk with Him and to trust Him even though things don't happen like I think they should. See, faith believes that God has made promises and He will keep them no matter what. So are we willing to, to walk? Are we willing to trust rather than just try to explain? It's a tough task to walk in a realm that you have no ability to explain. When people ask you questions, you just kind of look at them. It was God. Yeah, but how? I don't know it's God. He said He would. I asked Him. He did it. See, that's what that guy was told me over and over and over. I just read in Scripture where he did it. This guy had this need. I just said, God, will you do so-and-so for this guy? He's, I mean, there were no flowery prayers. He said, God, this guy, let me tell you this story. He said, I was driving a truck. God told me to pull over. I pulled over. He said, I want you to go up on the porch. See that guy up there? Yeah, I got barely can see. I want you to share the, I want you to just go up there and talk with him. So he gets out, he goes up there, and the guy says, he said, could I talk with you? The guy said, oh, yeah. He says, what about? He said, well, I want, to, I want to talk to you about Jesus. He said, well, let me get my grandson. So his grandson comes over. He says, this man wants to share Jesus with you. So he shares Jesus. The five-year-old gets saved. He comes to Christ. He says, what can I do to, for you? 
And, and the old man said, well, I'm blind. What would you have done? Slip back down to the truck. Drive on. He said, okay, well, let's pray that God heals your eyes. So he just prayed. He said, I just prayed. I said, what happened? He said, I got through, and the old man said, hey, is that your truck down there? (laughs) He said, what happened? God healed him. Folks, are we willing to believe so that we can see, or do we have to see to believe? We just follow God. There's no formula. We just listen for God. God says, I want you to talk to her. Stop and talk to her. So you stop and talk. God says, I want you to pray for her. Okay, God, what do I pray? I want you to pray this. When you've finished, you've done it. You go on. See, I'm just talking about listening to God. I'm not talking about getting a tent going on the road or, or renting out coliseums or putting flashing lights out here with signs blinking. I'm just talking about living the Christian life day in and day out wherever God takes you. You will be amazed if you will say, God, will you give me one person today? God will give you one person. And if you'll be faithful with the ones that he gives you, he'll give you two. If you'll be faithful with the twos and start to listen, man, you'll be just like this. Yeah, I got to talk to her right now. You'll just know it. Because this is why the church grew. It wasn't healing. It wasn't uh, that that they fed them or any of those things. It was because they listened to God and talked to the people that God was leading them to. So we're just conduits, folks. Conduits. Now, I hope I've answered all your questions or at least given you the answer that is most common. I don't know. Okay? But here's what I do know. God does not change. The Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and yes, tomorrow. Jesus has not changed. Therefore, we have to get with Jesus. We have to do what Jesus did. And we have to walk out what Jesus said. And if we will do those things, Jesus will show up. And when the presence of Jesus comes, everything else falls into place. See, God walked in earlier this morning. And God moved on some people. God touched some people. See, we have, to, we have to build a place that attracts God, not people. God attracts people. That's the problem with the church today. We, we're building all these programs to attract people instead of God. We've just got to become fragrances that attract God. And you know what attracts God? Scripture tells us brokenness, humility, faith. Brokenness, humility, faith. I ask Russ if they'll come. And... For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.